Well, good morning, Foundation Church. Go ahead and look at the person sitting next to you and just say, God is good. <laughs> Amen. Well, listen, it is, uh, it is so good to be back up on this stage with you guys, getting to bring God's Word. But I just want to highlight just what's happened the past couple weeks. Over the past couple weeks, you've got to hear from Dr. Tyler Elam, and man, he has just been so encouraging, but then also so challenging, and can we just give him just a huge shout of just like, thank you for the past couple weeks, and you're going to get to hear from him one more time throughout this series, but man, God has just been so, so good, and I just pray that you just are continually getting to meet him and find him in some incredible, incredible ways. But we're going to dive right in. We're in our prayer series. This is week three of our prayer series. And listen, here's where we're going to get to today, is I want you to focus first and foremost on the relationships that you have. And I want you to think about the people that you have closest to you, maybe the people you work with, the people even at a distance. And I want you to answer this question. How does your view of someone impact how you approach them. How does your view of someone impact how you approach them? Well, as I begin to study, I begin to come across this article by Medium. And in this article, they begin to identify this word objectification. They said that oftentimes you can begin to see people as either an obstacle. And so by an obstacle, basically they are getting in the way of what you want you can fill in the blank with any type of person. We've all been there. We've all had that type of person in our life. Or maybe there's the other one where you just see them as simply a vehicle. And a vehicle is using them to accomplish something that you want. You find them useful, but not very significant. If you would imagine like going through the Burger King drive through you may find that person extremely useful that gives you the food, but you may not be having like a very significant moment with them. But that's just on the surface level. This one can go much, much deeper where you see them as a vehicle of just being able to be used to get from point A or to point B in your life. Or there's the last one. You may find people in your, in your life as just irrelevant that you devalue them as being or as not being worth your time or even worthwhile as a person. This is just some of the ways in which we relate with others. Now, one of the questions that we want to get to is how do you begin to view God? Do you begin to objectify God in the same way as either an obstacle as a vehicle or irrelevant. One of my favorite quotes, we're going to put it up, up on the screen, comes from A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer, he says this, he says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This is a beautiful, beautiful line, and it resonates. It's like, how do you begin to view God? How do you begin to see God? Now, I begin to look at this from different contexts and different aspects of our life. Listen, many of us, including myself at times, we fail to see that even God is even on our side. That's one of the ways that we probably connect with God. 
May you see him as God Almighty, but not really on my side, not really even for me. Another one I began to think about, seeing as someone that you really actually don't even like, that you actually don't even like God at all, for whatever reasons that may be. Or you find that you have just become so familiar with this concept of God or who God is that it's just bred apathy into your life. And when we talk about prayer specifically, specifically, is that oftentimes it comes down to your view and your opinion of who God is in your life. And today, we want to look at that. Our big concept of today is everything in your life is impacted by how we see God and approach Him in prayer. And here's what I want to do today, is I want to take you on a journey. And I want to hope that by the end of this, that you see God as Father, that you see God as holy, and that you see God as worthy of our praise. If you have your Bibles with you, go to Matthew chapter 6. If you have your phones, pull those out as well. Come on, stick with me here. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the context of the Lord's Prayer. It's a beautiful passage that we have already looked at once before. We're going to look at it once more again today, beginning here in verse 5. It says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. You see the outline of like these, all these ways in which how not to pray. That Pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the Gentiles. Don't do this out of just what, how others may view you or see you, but yet step into this as an intimate connection with God. And Jesus then proclaims these incredible words next where he says, pray then like this. Here's how you don't pray. Now let me tell you how you should pray. And he begins this prayer in this way that we're going to read through it all. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and glory forever. Amen. I just went back to like my high school days in a a locker room. Anybody like there with me? It's like we didn't really love Jesus a whole lot, but by golly, we started every game with the Lord's prayer. And it was good. It was good. But today we want to land on these few words. Jesus begins by saying something so radical, but yet you find so familiar. Jesus begins to say something in the very beginning that actually leads him to his death. If you go to why was Jesus crucified? Why did the Jews say crucify him? It was for blasphemy. And it comes to this one statement whenever he begins to proclaim our father. 
In Matthew chapter 5, he be, or in John chapter 5, it says that was why the Jews was seeking more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. And how does Jesus say that we are to pray? He begins with this opening line that says, Our Father. Our Father. Now, I wanted to step into this just for a moment. This was not normal. This is not at all how the Jews would have prayed up until this time. This was even to the point of heresy, blasphemy. But yet Jesus says, Our Father. What was it that was so crazy about this? Why do we see Jesus speaking this incredible language? Well, Jesus, over 175 times in the New Testament, this word Father is spoken. But here's what's crazy. If you go to the New Testament, you find how rare it is actually spoken. God is oftentimes not proclaimed as Father or as what we see here, Abba, Father. We see Him used in many, many different terms. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's see, how would they have connected with God? One of the examples is Isaiah 63, 16 through 17 is where we find our first example of this text. It says, For you are our Father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. So at this time, this is Isaiah the prophet. He's speaking into these words. And he says there's two ways that we can see God as the Creator and the Redeemer. Creator and Redeemer, these are the two ones. If you ever heard of the story of, of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, this is one of the first moments of which God is redeeming His people, building up His people, the Israelites. Creator, Redeemer, but Isaiah says something crazy there. He says, Father. Now Psalms 103 says it in a similar tone, in a similar way. It says, As a father shows compassion to his children... So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. You see, in these verses that we are reading, God is addressed as Father. It's the same term. My Father is David Rayburn. And you, every single one of us in this room, have some sense of a Father. This would have been the same language that they would have used, both New Testament and Old Testament. But what was so peculiar, peculiar about the Old Testament is that when Jewish leaders heard the familiar way Jesus referred to God as Father, this was once again nothing short of scandalous. And the fact that they rarely did so use this word in the Old Testament reveals that they didn't relate to God primarily as a father, certainly not in the way that Jesus did. Now, in these verses, we see Israel's creator, Father, God. He's the Redeemer. And He reveals a special, special nature with this group of people. And the underlying theme is that God is the Father of Israel that we find here. But Jesus does something so profound, is that He takes it so much further. So much further. He takes it into a moment of intimacy to where in the same way that you know your father, you may know him. In the same way that you may be loved by a father, you may be loved by him. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. But let's take this even further. Take this even further. 
How does this connect to us? Well, oftentimes we see God, this is how we would see God, as scowling, as disappointed, as disapproving, and must be persuaded or somehow made happy by our actions. When you think of God, that's probably how you see him. As big and mighty, and just like every time you do wrong, he's just scowling down at you. And maybe some of you have had that type of father. Maybe your father was that person that when you did something wrong, that was the reaction. Maybe an arms crossed and just a disappointed look, a head shake, maybe. Did anybody get the middle name? Middle name, yeah, Aaron Michael. That was always it. It wasn't ever like Aaron Michael Rayburn because that would have been like I was disgracing the family name or somehow. It was just Aaron Michael. It was like that's the name. That's the language that we could see here. But I wanted you to go back just for a few minutes. There's this incredible moment. I was sharing with some guys at, over some coffee. I was like, this has been so refreshing to me. And I just want to plant this seed for just a second. I said, did you remember the moment when Peter meets with Jesus on the seashore? So if you know the story, it's incredible. Peter has actually just denied Jesus three times. It was prophesied that he would deny him three times. And in this moment, if Jesus is the Lord, if Jesus is Father God in the same, in the flesh, then here's a beautiful picture. You've got a picture. Here's Peter who has just failed in the most incredible way. He has denied Jesus while Jesus is about to get crucified. And you have to put in your head right now, what does Jesus' face look like? He has called Peter to come and eat some fish with him. And you have to ask the question, what does Jesus' face look like? Is it this? Is it the scowl that your father has carried many, many years or your grandfather? Is it a domineering look? What is it that you see? And this is one of the foundational truths of the day is that what you will see will transform how you then relate to him and how you can connect with him. And I have this incredible moment. I'm going to say, Ryan, come on up here, buddy. And I had this incredible moment where this guy was sharing this with me. This is not my thought. You ever have like the people in your life that just speak truth into you? I'm so thankful God brings people into my life. And he began to look at me. This guy was sharing this idea with me. And he said, this is how I would see guys like, Peter, you screwed up, didn't you? You screwed up. Like three times? It could have just been once, but three times. But instead, what if Jesus was just looking at him and just said these incredible words? Peter, do you love me? And you can almost imagine a smile. Like, Peter, do you love me? I know, man. That was rough. That was, that was bad. But Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like, Peter, do you love me? Yes. <laughs> and it's an incredible moment. Because if he is smiling, even though he has created and done one of the most crazy things, it just still shows this different perspective of who we believe God to be. As if there is a sense of permission that you may screw up. As if there is God's grace that still overflows even the most, and every single one of us, the most egregious of sinners. Like ourselves, right? right? Thank you so much, Ryan. But it's an incredible, incredible picture. What do you see? How do you see him? And here's what Jesus is portraying. He says, here, I'm going to give you this new invitation. I'm going to give you this brand new invitation where you can see God as Father. 
that you are his son. In the same way that I am a son, you've been adopted into his family and he loves you as a beautiful son, as a beautiful daughter. This is unbelievable. He gives us this invitation to be dearly loved children as a new identity. To those who have responded in faith to the message of Christ, to be able to pray our Father in heaven shows this incredible relationship that we have been given to be able to step into. That he is our, our creator, yes, he is our redeemer, but he is our father. It's this incredible intimacy. And here's what's incredible about this intimacy is that only me and my sister can call David Rayburn father. And so this incredible intimacy that you have been given is that you are the only ones. That we are the only ones that can be called. Only a child can use this name, father. And Jesus has invited every single one of us in how to pray into this beautiful relationship. But now, it gets even more beautiful. Because Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, then hallowed be your name. And this hallowed name, it could be holy. Holy is your name. Well, for us, this is really hard for us to grasp. Holy. Holy is your name. What does this mean? What does this speak into? Well, let's go to the Jewish culture first. So if you go back in time, this is what they meant to see God as holy. So in Exodus, he was given this name. He says, I am, which then is translated into Yahweh. Now, here's what's incredible is this God's covenant name is to be so holy that they would not even have spoken it out loud in the same way that I did. Yahweh. And so even whenever they spelt it, they would remove certain letters as if to not offend God. And even to the point of when they would even write down G-O-D, even in certain cultures now, they would literally leave the O out. It would just be G-D, as if to not offend God, as if to not speak his name from unholy and unclean lips. That was their perception of what holy meant. Now, when we think of our Heavenly Father, we shouldn't think of Him as just some guy, like sitting in a huge chair that just is like this cosmic vending machine or just a petty tyrant that must be appeased. In order for us to truly understand Him as Father, we must also truly understand Him as Holy and as king. There's some words here that we use that, yes, he is the creator. He is the all-powerful king of the universe, that all power and glory belong to him forever. Now, here's oftentimes what I find my struggle is and your struggle is, and you know this is true because you probably had your butt busted a few times growing up as a kid, is that you will call him father or you'll call your real father father, but yet you won't always obey him as father. Yes, everybody just went back to like the worst memory with their father or grandfather just busting some tail. And why? There was a sense of where there was not obedience. And so we see this incredible connection that, yes, not only is he father, but he must also be Lord. He also must be king. He also be, must be the holy of which we are trying our very best to just be obedient to. And so we see this incredible intimacy with this name, but then we see this incredible holiness of God's name. To step into that with an obedient heart 
is the beauty of what Jesus is saying here in these verses. Now, our struggle is oftentimes we want the Father, but we don't want the King. That oftentimes we want to have Daddy, but yet we don't want to have Lord. And what that means is that you want everything that this covenant relationship gives you, but yet you are not willing to give your life to it. This is the greatest, greatest struggle that each and every one of us that oftentimes step into and that we have. But Jesus is calling us, he says, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, meaning I recognize you, I see you as Lord, I see you as King, and in that I will obey you out of the love that I have for you. But we really, truly, fully grasp his holiness. There's some incredible lines that we see here in Isaiah. Once again, in Isaiah 29, 23, it says, For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. First Timothy 6, 15 through 16 says this. It says, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And you can put on the tagline, that's my dad. That's incredible. That you can read those lines and then the same be like, that's my father. If Jesus has said that our father, that means he's my father as well. So I can say all those things. I can say, oh, that's my dad. That's insane. That is insane. And so there's beauty in these incredible words that we read at the beginning of the prayer. We familiarize them. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, to help you see in a new way what this word Father means, and what this word Holy means. And you have to then ask the question that I've been just so excited to get to, so excited, is what gives us, us in this room, we of unclean lips, of unclean hearts, any right to call the Almighty our Father? What gives us that right? What gives us that right? And here is my prayer that all across the room right now, that all across the room right now, that if you have been under, have been struggling with who Jesus is, if you have been going through pain, if you have been going through heartache, if you have been questioning everything in your life, we pray just all across this room that literally the gospel, that literally the words of Christ would just dwell in your heart, that for the first time a light may come on. Not by the words I speak, but literally by the words we are about to bring forth from God's Word. How are we able to do this? We are going to say here, our Holy Father Himself and His Holy Son, our Savior, give us this unfathomable privilege. I want you to pause and ponder the astounding fatherhood of God. See with fresh eyes the Father's heart of God for us. In 1 John, in 1 John 3, 1, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that they did not know Him. 
And what kind of love has this Father given us? Well, in 1 John 4, 9 through 10, he says it in this incredible, incredible way. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We can continue on in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And the Son so willingly laid down His life down for us to become the perpetuation for our sins. And then in John 1, 12 through 13, we see this incredible truth. But who, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, it is no small thing to be able to call the Holy One of Israel our Father and ourselves children. For at great cost, we see that this was made. Two more pieces of passage that I want to read with you. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And then lastly, Galatians. Chapter 4, verse 3 through 7. In the same way we also, when we were children, We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And with that, everybody said, Amen. And probably a shout of praise would be very, very good at this time. It is through this that you can come into the Lord's Prayer and say these most profound words, Our Father. Or you can personalize it and say, My Father. Holy is your name. This is beautiful. This is profound. And these scriptures bring to light the incredible goodness of God. Whenever I was studying, I came across this quote by Michael Reeves. He says, when a person deliberately and confidently calls the Almighty Father, it shows they have grasped something beautiful and fundamental about God who God is, and to what they have been saved. And how that wins our hearts back to Him. For the fact that God, the Father, is happy and even delights to share His love for His Son and thus be known as Father reveals just how gracious and kind He is. You see, we have this incredible gift to see God as Father, to see God as Holy, And then lastly, to see God as worthy 
of our praise. As we have started this, how you view God, how you see God is the most important thing about you. And as we approach prayer, you probably begin to see God as maybe an obstacle. As Caleb was talking about, maybe God can, but maybe he will or maybe he won't, as if God's the obstacle. Or maybe right now, God's just continually been the vehicle of your life. You just continually try to think of God, help me get from point A to point B, thank you, amen. Or maybe today it's just been irrelevant. It's just been irrelevant to you. You haven't considered deeply and fully who God is and how much he loves you. Or maybe you've been told a different story about who God than what we just read. But when we talk about prayer, we see that there's this incredible gift. Our Father, holy is your name. And the most appropriate response to that when we step into prayer, as Tyler said, pause is first. Man, that's tough. But the second step is to rejoice. Philippians 4.4 says it this way. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is our incredible gift that we have been given. And I want to just challenge you that in prayer, Jesus is modeling for us. Before you ask, before you lament, before you lay yourself bare, Worship Him. And He says again, rejoice. Rejoice. Now, before we come to a close, it's just been a beautiful time just seeing these words that we've seen so familiar with hopefully a new perspective, with new eyes of this incredible, wonderful love that God has given us that we could call Him Father. And I just want to leave you with four simple steps to take. What does it actually look like to rejoice? And number one, this is so incredible. This is so incredible, is that you have a Father who loves you. You have a Father who loves you. There are some really bad fathers. There are some really, really, really tough experiences that you have probably dealt with that your father at times probably has not been very loving, that at times your father has probably not been very kind, or if you even think about it, your father has never even been there. And so whenever I say these words, Father, then what it's immediately doing is you're connecting God to the Father that you have here on earth. And it's difficult for you to even call him Father because of all of the current beliefs and mindsets that you have about what a father is. And so here's my encouragement to you, is that I cannot even imagine what you've experienced as a father. We can't even pretend to step into your shoes, but here's what I want to just say to you, is that, is that God is not like your father. He's not like my father. He is the standard. He is the perfect one. He is the king the Lord, the perfect Father. Does He always give us what we want? No! It would not be perfect if He did. <laughs> but I just want to step into that moment so that you know, so that you know, no matter where you have been, no matter what your trajectory of life has been, is that right now, today, that you can experience the Father's love. 
And that may be the first time you can ever say that a father has loved you. And it's there for you. The second one I want to share with you, what does it look like to rejoice? What does it look like to worship? Well, this came from this incredible book, How to Pray by Pete Gray. He says that worship cannot be determined by our feelings. To rejoice in God cannot be determined by our feelings. And you can make this connection. If I only tell my wife, Emily, that I love her whenever I'm passionately just infatuated by her, you know how often we would say, I love you? A lot. I'm just kidding. Not very often. Not very often. Imagine how if your love or your worship or your rejoicing is only dictated by when you are passionately enthralled by that person. Sometimes you must awake your soul. You must awake your soul and say, God, even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to worship you. That even though I don't necessarily understand it, I'm going to say I love you. That even though I don't even really want to claim you, I'm going to still call you father. And here's what's crazy. You ever been in like a fight with any sort of person, or a brother, a sister, a father, a mother, and you just say these words, I love you? It's just kind of like it goes away. And so here's what I want to challenge you, is that when we have this incredible call to rejoice first, to see him as our father, our redeemer, our creator, is that sometimes you must awaken your soul. Don't allow your worship to be determined by your feelings. The second or the third one I want to share with you is that I think this is so cool is that God has given us the ability to worship in our own weird ways. In our own weird ways, that is a gift. If it's like my grandfather, it's walking in the woods with a 22 rifle and some dogs barking up a tree. That may be just a little bit of worship. If you're like me and my mother-in-law last night, it was out at Grayson Lake just looking up at the stars. And you're like, whoa, that's crazy. But in both of those situations, no matter where you are, here's what's so cool and here's what's so profound is that we can now look up at the stars and be like, man, our Father made all that. Think about that. Oftentimes you just say, hey, God did that. It was like, well, we got new permissions now. Our Father did all that. When you walk through the woods, you're like, our Father did all this. That's profound. So worship in your own weird ways, whatever that may be. We don't have a section for ribbon dancers, but maybe that's you. I don't know. We can begin to put that in play. But worship in your own weird ways. Or I shouldn't say weird, your own unique ways. And then the last one is, I want to encourage you. I think that this is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. Worship with music. Worship with prayers. Worship with songs. You see, we have the temptation that we must always worship in a new way or we must always do something new and creative. But here's what is so incredible. Is that oftentimes just simply going through the motions is exactly what we need to do. And so every time you may not feel just like you said, you may not have the right attitude, you may not feel like it, but sometimes just waking up, open up your Bible to the Psalms and reading it through is exactly what you need to do. Or maybe it's hitting that worship music versus any time on your way to work. Whatever it may be that can convict your heart and mind to see Him. It's repetition. It's repeating over and over these rhythms that help you connect 
not with just somebody that is distant and far, but somebody that, as we have just read, that is holy and close, that is our Father. And so as we come to a close, I want to do things just a little bit different. First, I want to encourage you. Today, we have used those verses and we have shared the gospel. The incredible love of Jesus Christ has been poured out to us by the love of the Father. That through him, you may have forgiveness of your sins, you may have life eternal, but the most incredible thing is that you get to know God as Father. And so we're going to have a prayer team up here at the end of service. And if you would like to have prayer, if you would just like to ask some questions about, hey, I've just been wrestling with this, or hey, I've just been wanting to know a little bit more, I'm new to this, then we just encourage you to just come up front at the end of service and just spend some time. We believe God's going to do something special in your life. But today I just want to share with you an example of what this could look like. Would you all please just stand with me this morning? We're going to sing the psalm. We are not going to sing. I'm not going to sing, Tyler. I thought I would. No, no, Lord. I'm going to just say this. Okay, I'm not singing them. Psalms 103. Psalms 103. Here we go. This is worship, my friends. This is what it means to rejoice. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant, and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all." Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all the places of His dominion. And lastly, bless the Lord, O my soul. Come on, church. Amen, amen. Give Him some praise today for that.